uh, for us, Moira. And um, it is great uh, to be back this evening in uh, the Book of Acts. We've had a little break um, over the Christmas period, but we're uh, right back into the thick of it this evening. Um, so do, um, do open up a Bible if you've got one, if you've got a phone or something you can f- track along. It's, there's a lot going on in our passage, but it um, be really helpful to have that open um, in front of you this evening. So many of our plans in life uh, get derailed, don't they? Holiday plans can get derailed. Job advancement or promotion plans, well, they can get derailed in all kinds of ways. Even just our small day-to-day lives, well, the daily plans that we make, they can get derailed, can't they? Just on, that, on Thursday there, I, I had set some time aside in the day with this grand plan of putting together uh, our two-year-old daughter, Naomi's new playhouse bunk bed. And I, I spent ages unwrapping all of their bubble wrap. I've never seen so much in my life. Um, I, I took a good look at the instructions ahead of time, as I'd been told to do. Um, opened up the package, tried to get going, and it had been sent with the wrong set of screws. So all I was left with that, uh, that afternoon was a room full of random bits of wood and a very sad two-year-old. As we think about that, how um, often our plans get derailed, I think it's often easy to feel similarly about God's plans, isn't it? As we look around the world, as we, as we see a world that, that here in Northern Ireland seems to be making a steady march away from God. And then as we look further afield, as we see even today God's people in so many parts of the world persecuted, even suffering death as a result of their faith, it's easy to wonder, isn't it? Are God's plans being derailed? Is God not able to do anything about what we're seeing around us? See, even smaller things in our own lives can make us think that too. Like when our friend promises to come to the carol service with us, but doesn't show up. Or that family member, well, they just keep on getting on at us about being a Christian. It can make us think, where is God in all of this? Well, as we get back into this series this evening, what we're going to see in this section that Neville read for us earlier, I think it's going to serve as a reminder and an encouragement. A reminder and an encouragement that no matter how it appears, God's plan to spread the news of Christ is fully on track. And there is nothing and no one who can derail his plan. God's gospel and his plan to spread it is unstoppable. We're going to see that pictured for us again and again this evening. And as we see it, I really do hope and pray that it will spur us on. Even as we look at the world around and see things not going according to our plans, it's going to spur us on to press on in trusting God. And boldly then speaking words of life about him to those around us. God's unstoppable gospel train is steaming ahead. It will never be derailed. 
Just look with me, uh, first of all, at verses 12 to 16. And what we see here, I think, will not only help us get back into the book of Acts a little bit, summarizing some of what we've already seen, but it will also show us this truth, that God's unstoppable gospel, using that train metaphor, is steaming ahead. Remember, we said that the book of Acts, well, um, often known as the Acts of the Apostles, is about more than that. As the first few verses uh, reminded us, it is about the continuing acts of Jesus, who despite having died, has risen again and is now exalted at the right hand of the Father, with all things under his feet. John Stott, that late great Christian minister and author, he summarized Acts in this way. It's the continuing words and deeds of Jesus, by his Spirit, through his apostles. And I think as we get back into the series this evening, it's a helpful way to to remind ourselves of what the book is about. And we see that, I think, already in action if we look in verses 12 to 16. As the apostles, filled by the Spirit, continue to do many signs and wonders, don't they, in the presence of the people. Presumably, you see, in this, they're doing these signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, right? Remember, do you remember if you were with us in chapter 3, it was in the name of Jesus that they healed the blind beggar. Just as he did when he was on earth. Now, Jesus Christ, risen, exalted through his apostles, is continuing to transform lives. Verse 15 is a great image, isn't it, of the extent of the transformation of people's lives that are going on, isn't it? We see people there brought to Peter, uh, even just they're brought close enough, aren't they, that his shadow can pass by and fall on them and they would be healed. As we see this, we see the continuing work of Jesus. As by the Spirit, through the apostles, people's lives are changed. But we see in these opening verses that it isn't just that Jesus is continuing to transform lives physically through these signs and wonders performed by the apostles. We also see here that Jesus is continuing to transform lives spiritually as he continues to build his church, which is what this book is all about. In verse 12, if you look with me, we see there the church gathering gathering together in Solomon's portico. And then in verse 14, we read of the growth. Verse 14, we read that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. See, as these signs and wonders were being performed, they were attesting to the truth that Peter and the apostles were proclaiming about Jesus that in him there is salvation, that in him there is forgiveness, that in him there is life. And people are responding, aren't they? As they see what's happening, as they hear these words, we see in verse 16 that it's, these responses are even going beyond the walls of Jerusalem, out into Judea, the towns around. And if you've been with us, that might ring a bell. Do you remember Jesus' words? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
See, we see here in these verses the beginning of the fulfillment of the words of Christ. We see God's unstoppable gospel, his gospel train steaming ahead. And as we see this, it is so encouraging. But that's why we also, when verse 17 comes up, if you look there with me, it's a bit like a speed bump. You know, one of those speed bumps that, that you, you don't see until it's too late. You're, you're flying along, and then wham. You crunch, into the speed, you crunch into the speed bump, the suspension creaks, and you're left reeling, aren't you? Where did that come from? See, all seemed to be going so well, didn't it, in that little section at the start. But suddenly in verse 17, we read, don't we, that the high priest rises up. And all who were with him, and they're filled with jealousy. They arrest the apostles and they put them in public prison. All of a sudden, God's gospel train that seemed to be steaming ahead nicely through Jerusalem, even now into Judea as well, well, it looks like it might be derailed. The apostles, those preaching and teaching the people about Christ, doing these signs and wonders, they find themselves in prison. What will this mean? As we said at the beginning, this surely is a point, isn't it, where we would look and say, is it going to plan? Are God's plans being derailed? Is the apostles' ministry over? Well, as we see this and wonder, as we said at the beginning, what I want us to see from now on in the rest of this passage is that even when it seems like God's plan for his gospel to go out might be derailed, in this passage we're going to see it by continued and continuous opposition, God's unstoppable gospel will steam ahead. It will make progress because nothing and no one can stop it. Jesus will build his church. We're going to see this repeated pattern three times from here on out. Opposition comes, seemingly derailing God's plan, only for God's gospel to continue going out. Let's see this first then from that verse 17 that we just read through to verse 24. Is God's gospel derailed? Take one. Certainly isn't looking good, is it? If you look with me at the situation at the end of verse 18. The apostles, God's chosen and appointed ones to bear witness to the ends of the earth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're arrested. They're put in a public prison. All because the high priest and those around them from the party of the Sadducees have become increasingly jealous. See, where people before would have held them in high esteem, we read in verse 13 that the people now hold the apostles in high esteem. There's a rival. This jealousy creeps in, doesn't it? So dangerous. So the high priest decides he wants to put a stop to all that's going on. And here in verse 18, we see the first step in that. As the high priest publicly asserts seemingly his authority over these apostles, openly putting them in jail for all to see so that they can no longer walk the streets, no longer speak to people about Jesus. So is this the end? Has the powerful high priest found a way to derail God's plan? Well, if you look with me at verse 19, not at all. The gospel 
hasn't stopped. It isn't stopped. Because the imprisonment of the apostles isn't a problem for God. God can overcome that. In fact, he will use it as he always planned to. Read with me in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. A powerful high priest who's jealous and some locked prison doors, well, they would be pretty, a pretty big obstacle for most, wouldn't they? But not for God. We aren't told exactly here how the angel opens the door. Maybe he, he just found a spare set of keys lying around. We, we don't know. But in some ways, doesn't that add to the comparison that's going on here? See, for God, if it's his will to get, the, uh, to get someone out of prison, it is as simple as this. Send an angel and open the doors. If you jump with me then to the second half of verse 21 onwards, I think Luke drives home this comparison for us between God's authority and power and that of the high priest and the council. In verse 21, the high priest comes out, doesn't he? along with the rest of the council. And they, with their assumed authority, they send for the apostles. And you can imagine them there, can't you? All these important Jewish leaders just waiting. But then the scene flips over in verse 22 to the officers. They're sent to bring the apostles. And as, as they come to the prison, they can't find them. So they return to the council, and what they report here is almost comical, isn't it? Verse 23, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Look how this leaves the captain of the temple and the chief priests in verse 24. Greatly perplexed and wondering what this would come to. Suddenly, these seemingly important, authoritative, influential Jewish leaders, well, they're reduced, aren't they? They're they're left there simply scratching their heads. What's happened? Compared to God's authority, God's power, they are nothing. And to add insult to injury, look back then also at what the angel told the apostles to do when they got out. In verse 20, to go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life, which is exactly what they then go and do, isn't it? They enter the, the temple at daybreak and they begin to teach. Reversing the public imprisonment that the apostles had faced earlier, now we see them back out again, publicly proclaiming Christ, presumably putting egg on the face of that high priest who so many people would have known the night before he'd imprisoned, and yet here they are back out again, doing the very thing that had put them in prison in the first place. See, at first glance, at the end of verse 18, it seemed that God's gospel train had been derailed. But instead, by the end of verse 21, we see that it is continuing to steam ahead. Now, what can we learn from this part of this account then? Again, I think the main point is clear. God's unstoppable gospel is making progress. It will make 
progress. In fact, if you glance on with me to verse 28, we see the extent of the progress already made. The high priest there admits in verse 28 that Jerusalem has been filled, filled with the apostles' teaching about Jesus. And as we see that this evening, I think we should be encouraged. Even as we do look at the world around us and see things happening, that at first glance, they seem to be derailing the gospel, the spread of it. We need to know this. Nothing that is happening in the world around us is outside of God's power and God's plan. If he needs to free someone from prison to spread the gospel... He can do that. If he needs to grant a visa for someone to go into an unreached people, uh, an unreached country to preach the gospel, he can do that. Even if that means God needs to overthrow a corrupt government somewhere in the world so that his gospel will go out, he can do that. And he will if it is a part of his plan. That should encourage us this evening. This is who our God is. But as we say that, While in this instance, the apostles are freed by God, we do, I think, also need to recognize at this point that that won't always be the case. In fact, almost all of these apostles, according to church history, at various later dates, will be killed. They won't be released. They'll die for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. God doesn't always rescue in this way. Rescue his people from imprisonment and death. But we can trust that if it is according to his plan to take the gospel out, he will rescue. I um, mentioned Elizabeth Elliot last Sunday morning, if you were with us. And as we look at this passage, I can't help but think of her husband, Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot and his fellow missionaries who were killed when trying to reach the Orca Indians of Ecuador. Could God have saved these people, these missionaries, like the apostles here, when they came under threat? Of course he could, but he didn't. So were their lives wasted? Was this a case of God's plan being derailed? Well, no, even in this case, that's not true. See, in dying as he did, Jim Elliot's daughter believes that actually he was showing the Orca Indians something so profound. So profound that knowing Christ is even worth dying for. And there have been so many people from those those peoples who have since come to know Christ for themselves because of that witness and ongoing witnesses from Elizabeth Elliot and others around too. And of course, as we think of Jim Elliot's story, hasn't that encouraged so many people right around the world to go on themselves, proclaiming Christ? Even as we see the apostles freed in this account, we need to know that God's plan doesn't always work out exactly how we would expect, but work out it will. We can be absolutely 100% sure of that. As we pick up then in verses 25 and onwards, we continue to see this, don't we? As we see 
the plan unfold, but not as we might expect. We see these freed apostles. Well, they don't get too long, do they, to teach in the temple. God's word has gone out, but suddenly we see that they're brought back into custody. And this time, now they face the full force of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and the high priest's questioning. So is God's gospel derailed? Well, here's take two in this passage from verses 25 to 32. See, not only are the apostles brought back in from the temple courts, no longer able to to preach and teach, but we see in verse 28, don't we, another attempt to intimidate them, to get them to stop preaching. Look with me at, at what the high priest says in verse 28. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. These are intimidating words. And the setting for these uh, words is intimidating too, as the apostles would likely here have been faced with a full semicircle in front of them of the religious elite of the time, the most important people in the Jewish religion. And the message is clear, isn't it? We've warned you once already not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus, and yet that's what you've been doing. Well, we are here today to once and for all put a stop to that. So how will the apostles respond? Will they buckle under this kind of intimidation, this kind of threat, knowing they could even die if they end up speaking or can end up continuing to speak the words of life. Is God's gospel train finally going to be stopped here then? Well, not at all. God's gospel is not stopped. Not stopped by these words, this intimidating setting. Instead, God answers the prayers of the apostles themselves, the prayers that they'd prayed earlier in chapter 4, and he grants them boldness. Here's what the apostles prayed back in Acts chapter 4, and we can see them fulfilled here as as God answers it. They said this, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's what they asked for then and what they continue to receive now. As Peter and the apostles answer the high priest by once again speaking the name of Jesus speaking that name that the Jewish leaders seem so reluctant to even say out loud for themselves. Look how they answer in verse 29. And here we see that even in this setting, God's gospel steams ahead as the the apostles preach it. Verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Even here, in the most intimidating, hostile setting, Can we not see the gospel of Jesus is going out? It is being proclaimed. As Peter and the apostles, again, not only stand their ground in doing what they know to be right in the sight of God, not of man, 
But then they go on and speak about Jesus, don't they? We see in, in these, in this, these uh, verses uh, the faithful gospel presentation that I think we're beginning to get to used to seeing in the book of Acts. We've already seen Peter many times preaching like this. Look, look with me. We see the death of Jesus talked about. We see that death was not the end, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we see the ascension. We see the glorious ascension of Jesus as leader and saviour, offering forgiveness to all who now will come to him. And of course, we see that in all of this, the apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, who testifies with them, they are witnesses. They're witnesses to all of these things. They have seen these things with their own eyes. That is the gospel. And as Peter and the apostles say all of this, they're proclaiming the gospel, aren't they? just as they've been commanded to do, and they are speaking these words to these Jewish leaders, and they come even here as an opportunity for these leaders, an opportunity for them. Yes, they did condemn Jesus to death, but look at those incredible words at the end of verse 32. Right now, that same Jesus is leader and savior in heaven, giving repentance to Israel and forgiveness for sins. Even forgiveness for these religious leaders, some of whom personally condemned Jesus to death. That's the gospel. We all, in our own way, by our sin, by each of our desire to live, with ourself, live as ourselves as ruler of our own lives, we, in some ways, condemned Jesus to death too. But as we did that, God was actually making a way for us to find forgiveness, to find life. In Christ's death, his resurrection and his ascension, today we can all find forgiveness and life, life to the full now, eternal life to come. And as Peter and the apostles said these words, this is what they were holding out to these Jewish leaders, holding this out. And it was, it's what's being held out to each of us this evening too. For us this evening, if we will repent of our sin and come to Christ, we can lay all of our sin and shame at his feet and know that he died for all of it. He paid the debt for our sin. And as we think about that, it's no wonder, is it, that the gospel has continued to go out to the ends of the earth. Because where else are you going to find hope like that? Where else are you going to find words of life like this? Words of forgiveness. If you are trusting in Jesus this evening, you are forgiven. The slate wiped clean. You are robed in Christ's righteousness. That is who you are. That is the gospel that is going out from here. If you're a Christian, rest in that. Rejoice in that again this evening. Our God is so gracious, so good. And this is the news we want to spread. And this is the news that is spreading and has been spreading over the last 2,000 years. That's the gospel. But of course, we see in this passage that the Jewish leaders don't respond too well to these words. With the blood of Jesus laid at their feet again and with the apostles 
uh, showing no signs of stopping, about Je- stopping talking about Jesus. Here they are going on about him again. We read in verse 33, don't we, that their opposition ramps up. Here they become enraged and even want to kill the apostles. As we read this, we continue on then afterwards. I want us to see now a third and final time that it seems here in this passage that God's gospel might be derailed. Will God's gospel be derailed? Take three. At this point, it certainly seems like the apostles being killed would be a pretty significant derailment, wouldn't it? They're the the key eyewitnesses who who Christ has has tasked with going out and speaking of himself to to the world. But again in this passage, we see here, but in a different way than we have up to this point, that God's work to ensure his gospel goes out is not stopped. As he now protects the apostles via an unlikely source a highly regarded Pharisee named Gamaliel. Just as it seemed there uh, earlier that the apostles are going to be condemned to death by the Jewish council, just as Jesus had been by the same people earlier, a few months earlier, in in steps Gamaliel, doesn't he? Here he is. Uh, But he's an unbeliever. He's not a Christian. But he steps in, doesn't he? Uh, for some kind of political reason, most likely, maybe for a self-preserving reason, right? Remember, we, we read earlier about how highly esteemed the apostles were. They were pretty popular. Uh, he steps in and he presents this argument that will end up not seeing the apostles condemned, but instead beaten and sent back on their way. Now, we don't have time this evening to go into the ins and outs of Gamaliel's argument It's a fascinating one. I'd love to talk with anybody who wants to talk about it later. But his basic argument in verses 35 to 38 is this. People like this Jesus and like his followers, well, they've been before. This isn't new. He mentions a name like named Theodas and a man Judas. Both of these men, well, they rose up. But because these uprisings were from man, not God, Gamaliel argues, well, they failed. Both Theodas and Judas, they were killed and their followers eventually scattered. It came to nothing. So, Gamaliel argues, will happen in the case of the apostles here. That's what will happen if what they're saying and doing is from man. So it's okay, he says. It's okay to leave them alone. Leave them to go free. If it's from man, it will amount to nothing. Uh, And then Gamaliel concludes, doesn't he, with these incredibly striking words. Verse 39. He says, But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Now, well, there's many reasons I think that Gamaliel's argument is flawed, certainly not one that we would, you would lean in on necessarily as a day-to-day living as a Christian today. In verse 39, I think he has stumbled upon something that is like a little golden nugget of truth that shines out in this passage. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Isn't that what we've been saying all the way through this passage up to this point? We know if it is God's will for his gospel to go out to the ends of the earth, 
There is nothing that anybody can do to stop it. Nothing can overthrow it. Maybe in human terms, and from a human perspective, people might be able to, to reroute the tracks from what we would see to be the straight line for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth. But those rerouted tracks are actually the exact tracks that God himself laid. As Christians, we can be sure of this. God, right now, as he always has been, is growing his kingdom. Nothing can overthrow God's plans. His unstoppable gospel is going out. Just think, even today, 2,000 years on, how that has proven to be the case as the gospel has spread even despite continuous, regular opposition in the early days from Roman emperors right the way through to today. But even in the midst of that, the gospel has steadily been advancing, even reaching people like those Orca Indians that we were talking about earlier, reaching those in the remotest corners of the earth. Nothing can overthrow God's plan. This plan for God, by his people, to take the gospel out, to spread forgiveness, to speak of forgiveness, sorry, life and hope to all nations, it doesn't fail, does it? Because it is of God's. And it still continues to be his plan. Just look at how our passage for this evening ends. The council, for whatever reason, I don't know, take Gamaliel's advice here. He's highly regarded, I guess. And they let the apostles go. They instead beat them, which uh, likely would have been a severe beating of 39 lashes across the back. And is that enough to stop the gospel going out? Another beating, another thing to derail God's gospel? Well, you've probably guessed it by now. It's not. Verses 41 and 42 we read, then they left, that's the apostles, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. God's gospel is full steam ahead. As before, God grants the apostles boldness. They go out publicly, privately, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. His unstoppable gospel is full steam ahead. As we draw towards a close then this evening, I want us to, to leave us with two challenges and one overall encouragement from all the twists and turns that we've seen here. First off, a challenge from the apostles example in this passage. We haven't spoken too much of them this evening. We've been looking at that bigger picture, but their example in all of this is pretty powerful, isn't it? And one for us to look to imitate in our own lives. Time and time again, even when they know it will likely bring trouble on themselves, they go on, don't they, faithfully witnessing to Christ, speaking of him wherever they go. Even after they've just been imprisoned for speaking about Jesus, they hear the angel's instructions and they go back out and do exactly the same thing. Now, 
for us today, most of us aren't facing this kind of level of threat for speaking about Jesus. But shouldn't that give us all the more reason to be ready to go out there and do it? Asking for God's help, asking for boldness to overcome our weakness, to speak these words of life and hope course we should look to do this wisely not just we're not here this evening and we're not to go out of here looking to stir up trouble unnecessarily but we do also need to be clear this evening we have inherited that same commission first given to the apostles to make disciples of all nations and to go into jerusalem judea and the ends of the earth to witness for christ maybe a good first step in doing that for us this evening, is to get praying. Praying for boldness, like these apostles, as we think back to what they were willing to suffer. And then also, I think, pray specifically. This evening, can you think of one or two people who don't know Christ that you could pray for every single day this year? You could pray for them every day. And pray for God to open doors to speak to them. It'd be so encouraging. If we went away from here, each of us doing that, if we came back in a year's time and just heard the answers to those prayers, imagine that. People all around this room share how God has opened the door for his gospel to go out, as we know it will. Of course, one problem in all of this is we don't know how people will respond, do we, when we speak of Jesus? But in that way, the disciples' example in verse 41 also leaves us with another second challenge, doesn't it? Their actions in speaking about Jesus leads to a horrendous beating, one we can't even imagine this evening. But we read in verse 41, don't we, that they leave rejoicing rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Maybe we will be mocked. Maybe we'll be sneered at. Maybe we'll be cut off from some people. Maybe we'll even be threatened if we speak of Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus' name is worth it. It is worth speaking of. And even if we do suffer, What are we suffering compared to what our suffering Savior went through for us? That's why I think the apostles could rejoice even in their suffering because they knew that in their suffering they were associating even just in a small way with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ who had given everything up for them. When hardship, big or small, comes for the, because of the name of Christ, because we speak it, let's pray that God would help us to respond like this, to respond like the disciples do here, and rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. But then, finally, I do really want us to leave this evening with an encouragement, which is the encouragement we've been thinking about all the way through. I think this is what this passage is primarily here to do, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to remind us that even as we do look at the world around and we wonder about what we're seeing, particularly with regards to Christian things, even as we rightly maybe grieve lots of what we see, 
we can trust in God. We can trust in God this evening. We can trust in God this week, this year. He is still at work, building his church, growing his kingdom, spreading his gospel. God's plans will not be thwarted. Even what might seem like to be a rerouting or, or a de- derailment to us, it's not that for God. His plans will always come to pass. The spread of his gospel, well, that's full steam ahead. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage that we've been able to look at together this evening from your word. Lord, we thank you so much for how it shows us that things that would seem to be just too big for us to overcome, well, they are not that for you. Lord, we thank you for this passage and how even with all the twists and turns, Lord, we see at the end, even more clearly, your gospel being preached and proclaimed. And as we'll think about next week, more and more people coming to trust in Christ. We thank you. We thank you that that's continued to be the case for the last 2,000 years. Lord, that as your gospel has gone out, that gospel of hope, of life, of forgiveness, so many people, countless people have responded to it. Lord, help us again this evening to rejoice in that gospel and help us again out of the overflow of all that you have done for us to take on this commission, to be witnesses to you, to the ends of the earth. Lord, help us this week. Help us to be faithful in praying for those who you've put around us. And then help us to be bold. Lord, you know we feel weak. You know we're scared. Lord, grant us courage, boldness to to tell people of the good news of Jesus because it truly is the best news ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing together, Let Your Kingdom Come, as we ask for God to continue the spread of his gospel, the continue, continuation of his saving, sovereign work right across the world, and, and then ask that God would use us, even in our weakness, to do that. So let's uh, stand as we respond and sing this together. Jesus Christ, we know wherever we are.
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.